0: Turn now in the Holy Scriptures to Psalm 103. He said there's a relationship to Psalm 103 and 4, and that's evident from the opening words of both. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The difference is that 104 concentrates especially on the relationship of God to the creation. And in 103, the emphasis is more the relationship of God to us. Let's read Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust, As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children." to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We read that passage of Holy Scripture in connection with the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 9 that we consider this evening Lord's Day 9 begins the first section of the, Heidel, or the Apostles' Creed that was the content of what we believe unto salvation. And so Lord's Day 9 concerns God the Father. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt but he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body, and further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears, turn out to my advantage, for he is able to do it, being Almighty God, and willing, being a faithful Father." Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is important, indeed essential, for us to believe that God is our Father. We, of course, believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith, but when we see Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, we must see the revelation of God as Father. The importance of this is brought out in Psalm 103 that we read, where we read that God pities us as a father pities His children. Indeed, that whole psalm may be viewed and read in the context that our relationship to God is that of children to a father. The importance, indeed the essential importance, of knowing and believing God as our Father is brought out by the catechism itself. It might not seem so, perhaps, when we see that there's only two rather brief Lord's Days on God the Father, a much more lengthy section in comparison on God the Son and again another lengthy section on God the Spirit nevertheless the fact that God is our Father is treated throughout the Heidelberg Catechism already in Lord's Day one we confess that not a hair can fall from our head apart from the will of Of our Heavenly Father in Lord's Day 8 of course one of the main divisions of the Apostles Creed is that God is the Father and he's associated with the creation God the Father and our creation there is of course the explanation of Lord's Day 9 and 10 that we are going to consider Then, Lord's Day 12, showing that whenever one even examines Christ and studies Christ and is learning of Christ, one is also doing that with regard to God. We read in Lord's Day 12 that Christ is ordained by God the Father and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. In Lord's Day 18, again on Christ, we confess that Christ is ascended to be our Advocate before the Father in Heaven. Then Lord's Day 19, Christ is the One, we read, by Whom the Father governs all things. If we confess Jesus is the Governor and Lord of all, we do so with the understanding that God the Father is ruling through Him. Lord's Day 46. <clears throat> Going all the way to the law, the exposition of the Lord's Prayer, we learn that we must address God as our Father. That at the very beginning of our prayer, we are excited like children, as designed to stimulate within us a childlike reverence and excitement that God is become even our Father in Jesus Christ. So this is a subject that we will return to, and even if we do not make the connection explicit, must never be far from our mind that God is our Father. An important, even necessary content of saving faith. Why is that? Well, in the first place, we might look at that question, why, from the perspective of God himself. The fact is, God is Father, whether we recognize it or not, whether we know it or not. God was Father long before. He created the worlds long before we became His children through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has always been Father. But God, God for His own reasons and to His own glory decided, determined that He would reveal, make known to others outside of Himself. Reveal and make known to indeed an entire creation outside of Himself. That He is Father. You see, God glories in His own fatherhood. It is precious to Him. It is what God is. And God reveals that, of course, to the glory of His name. So that then now when we ask that question, why is this important, and look at it from our own perspective, we can see two things about how important this is. Number one, that we might, even as we read in Psalm 103 and many, many other places, praise and glorify God as Father. That is why He made us. That is why He saves and redeems us and delivers us from sin so that we might carry out the very purpose and calling that He has given us. It's what we are made for. But not only that, as we learn in this Lord's Day, why God reveals this is for our comfort. We must never forget that just as important as it is for us to live and die happily believing in our Lord Jesus Christ, so also it is the case with regard to God the Father. Consider with me then the confession I believe in God the Father, and we'll notice three ways that the Catechism expounds that God is Father. Father of His Son, Father of His world, and Father of His family. We begin with the reality that God is the Father of the Son. And we begin there because from that reality flows all the other ways in which God is Father. In other words, there's a reality in God Himself that He is father apart from any other way that he may be called father or his father the fact that God is father explains all the rest so we begin there and there we must begin with the reality revealed in God himself the being of God that God is the father of his son and very helpful for understanding how God is our Father, and what do we mean when we express that God is our Father? Are we confessing only that the first person is our Father, or entirely the being of God? In all three persons is our Father. Helpful to that is to see that God is Father of His Son in two distinct ways. The first, and this is the essential one, is that the first person, the first person of the Trinity, the first person in the being of God, is the Father of the second person, the Son. And that is essential to God. That's what He is, that's who He is. And that's why you will read in Scripture many times that God is eternally the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that even in our catechism. Notice that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you ask, what's that referring to? It's referring in the first place to the fact that the eternal father the first person is the eternal the father begetting eternally the second person the son and the scriptures reflect that very carefully in john 1 verse 14 one of the great chapters in scripture because it narrates the birth of jesus christ from the perspective that the One born in Bethlehem, the Word that's made flesh, is first of all the eternal Son. So we read in John 1.14, we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man hath seen God at any time The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Verse 18, same chapter. Go ahead a little bit and look at the chapter that the adult Bible society is studying. And we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in first John chapter four, verse nine, in this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. It is impossible, it is impossible to believe in Jesus Christ to receive Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ, to understand Jesus Christ, without knowing, understanding, and believing, God is Father. That's how essential it is to God that when God sends His Son, He sends Him deliberately as His only begotten Son. This is part of the significance that God gives to us, the institution of family and marriage and fatherhood and children. Remember that this world is the way it is because God made it that way. And as we're going to see, God makes it that way deliberately. The creation something that He calls into being as a begetting as it were. Therefore, it reflects something about God. So, we may ask why is there fathers among us and families and children? And part of the answer to that indeed a very very important part of the answer to that is not, well, that's required to have children and grandchildren and to grow and populate the earth etc. Not so that we might enjoy our life not alone but in the fellowship of others, that we might live not as male but as female with our wife as one, and all the wonder of that, but it's so that we might have some understanding of what it means that God is Father. God the Father said to Himself, How may I teach? How may I show others what it means that I am Father? What it means that I beget a son and made us that way. So there is a similitude between fathers and sons in our own particular life. We see there what begetting is. What does it mean that God the Father begets His Son eternally? Well, we learn that begetting is an act of love whereby one imparts life to another person. A person comes into being that is both distinct and yet related. We beget another, another than ourselves, A different person, a new person, and yet they're related. They're even a reproduction of ourself. There's a reflection of us in that one who is begotten. So likewise, in the very being of God, God the Father eternally begets another person. One who is distinct from Himself. Distinctly different as a person. And in that act of love begetting a son, produces, begets one that is His replica. His perfect image. We learn that. We learn what these words mean then in Scripture. We we learn from our own fatherhood and begetting of children, these things. There's a similitude, a reflection of that for our own blessedness. But at the same time, we must see that there's something vastly different. Our fatherhood, our marriages and our homes, our begetting of children is but a reflection, a picture of the far greater and more wonderful reality in God Himself. For example, our begetting requires motherhood. God's does not because the fatherhood of God is perfect in itself. He begets by an act of Himself alone. We can't do that. Begetting with us is an act of our will, an act of love. God's begetting is an act of love, but an essential, Activity of the triune being of God. God, this is who and what He is. This is what He does. This is His life eternally begetting. Our begetting is therefore a momentary action. We give life to someone outside of ourselves, as it were, then they have that life in themselves. God's is an eternal activity, both complete and yet ongoing. One in which the Son eternally draws life out of the Father and yet is a distinct person, but it's hard to explain, but God being eternal in the I Am, it's never done as it were. There's a life there that we can't really truly explain. Our begetting does not result in a perfect likeness or image of ourselves, only dimly, sometimes more than in others. And our begetting is a complement of begetting in our image and our wife's image. God produces one that is the perfect image or replica, if we may speak that way, of the first person. And our begetting produces another person and being. The amazing thing about our begetting is that there is another person that is born. A person that was not there before. And that person is another being. Not so in the being of God. There's only one being of God. This happens internally within the being of God. Father and Son are one, therefore, in a way that we know only dimly in the oneness of our fatherhood with our children. So that in the first place, we're speaking now of the essential life in the being of God, that there is one person that eternally begets another person, the Son, Now, we're not going to spend so much time on the role of the Spirit in that, but hopefully you can see that the Spirit is involved. He's not sitting by the sideline watching this happen, but is the one by whom the Father begets the Son. The Father begets the Son by imparting the Spirit. Breathing the Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from Him. And thus, there is a begetting. But that's not all Scripture means when it says that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means when it refers to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it means when it refers to His divine nature. But you understand the amazing thing about our Lord Jesus Christ is He has also a human nature. And the question is, of course, is where did the human nature come from? How was it begotten? That belongs, of course, to the mystery of the Incarnation, and we will try to leave some of that for the mystery of the Incarnation, but yet we should explain it to a certain viewpoint what it means We read often in Scripture, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say God the Father is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but God is the Father. Think back in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 35, where we read that Jesus is conceived and brought forth. That is, begotten. How? simply by inactivity of the first person no by the operation of the Holy Spirit so the idea is that God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ as to his human nature differently even as a different act we may think of than how the first person begets the second person. The entire being of God was involved and the Scriptures say begets our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is according to His human nature. You see, that's different. And so Scriptures speak of it differently. They speak of it now not as an essential activity, an eternal ongoing essential activity within the being of God, But as something that happens in time, as an act of God's will, as something God determined to do at a specific point in time, in our history. It's what Psalm 2 is referring to, at least in part, when it says, I will declare the decree. I've made a decision. I've decided I'm going to do something. That's not how God talks with regard to His eternal begetting within the being of God. Father and the Son, first and second person. No, I will declare the decree regarding what now? That His Son shall be born in human flesh. Psalm 2 also, incidentally, not incidentally, actually importantly, teaches about God begetting Jesus in another sense, and that is with regard to His resurrection. That shouldn't stump us if we think about it. When Jesus was raised by an operation of the Holy Spirit, raised by indeed the triune being of God, what was going on there? Well, there was a giving of life, a giving of life in that which was dead. And so the Scriptures look at it that way, as a beginning, as the producing of something that, as it were, was not there because it was dead. And so Jesus is called the first begotten from the dead. And so we read in John 5, verse 26, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. has amazing implications that Jesus touches on at very important points in His ministry. It's amazing that when Jesus comes and He speaks and He acts, Jesus is not really even ever directing attention and faith to Himself as such. He continually reminds His audience and His disciples and believers, even unbelievers, that He represents the Father. That He is the Son. There is another called Father. That He bears witness to Him. In other words, don't look at Me alone. You must see Father. You must see God the Father. Now to be sure, one can know the Father only through the Son. That too is worthy of our meditation and attention. And where we often go wrong, we think we can approach God any old way. We can just simply think of God as Almighty. We can conceive of God as a very powerful, even a God that might have some sort of benevolence to us. But it's impossible. You, you cannot approach God except through His Son. In fact, the profound idea of Scripture is Jesus is the only image of God. The perfect image of God, to be sure. But you cannot. It's impossible to see the Father without seeing the Son. And why when we forget that? Why when that's not done, pretty soon what we're left with is a cold, heartless God who has no interest in us, who's just a cold, disinterested, unaffected power. And then pretty soon, God is nothing to us. We're afraid of Him. We do not approach Him. Or we think that we can do things to affect change in God. No. No know, worshiping God rightly, comfort and peace with regard to God always occurs through the relationship of Father and Son. The relationship of the first person and the second person. Our relationship to Christ brings us to the Father. And even now, even now when we think of Christ, as I showed from our own Heidelberg Catechism, we must see Christ seated at the right hand of God, the Father, advocating for us before the Father, interceding for us with the Father. Now, there's other ways in which we may see God as Father. And here, the Reformed faith, the Reformed creeds, even speak of God the Father and what it means that God is Father. What does it mean when we speak of the first person as God the Father? We're referring to the fact that God is the source of all things. And one may see that, as it were, from the perspective of the life of God Himself, even as the first person begets the second, so also if there's anything outside of God, anything living outside of God, any being outside of God, God, indeed the triune being of God, God in all three persons is its source. It can and must be traced back to God. Any tracing that doesn't go back to God dishonors God. and. Therefore, that's the way the Scriptures often look at the relationship of God to the creation. That the relationship of God to the creation is He is its Father. He has begotten that creation. That's why the Catechism took the liberty of when assigning certain activities of the triune being, assign certain of them to individual persons. And we said, be careful, remember, the entire being of God is always involved in all of the work of God. And yet, the Scriptures, they bring to prominence certain acts and say that points to the Father, that points to the Son. The Father didn't hang on the cross as such, the Son did. Well, the Father was very much involved with the hanging of the Son on the cross. And so also in the creation, all the persons are involved. Scriptures emphasize that. There in the beginning, it's really quite amazing. The amazing opening chapters of Genesis of the whole Bible. There's the first revelation of God as multiple persons. In the beginning, God created And soon we see the Spirit. He's introduced into the narrative. The Spirit is there. And God creates by doing what? Speaking the Word. God spoke, and there was. God said, and there was. Something that the Apostle John immediately picks up on when in John 1 he repeats those opening words in the beginning. Only he gives now not the creation narrative, But the narrative that explains the relationship of the Word to the Father. In the beginning was the Word. Where does he get that from? Because in the beginning there was the Word. God spoke. And it was done. The point is, what do we see when we see the creation? What have all our fathers seen when we look at the creation? What does a believer see Many don't see anything, of course. They disconnect a God or some God from the creative process at all. It's just there. Chance. Happenstance. Luck. That's what explains it. A big explosion. Others, at least, will attribute God to it. But any explanation, any viewing of the creation, any understanding of the creation must be that God is Father. Father. That God created it as a Father. And that is how the creation is explained in so many places. Even when we go on to speak about providence, ask yourself, why is it that providence is brought up in this Lord's Day, which is largely about creation? It's about God's relationship to the world. That's what's here. And that's important. Our catechism itself is saying if you really want to know what it means that God is Father, then notice that the Apostle Creed connects that to the creation, Almighty Father, maker of heaven and earth. There, more than any other act of God, any other work of God, reveals Him as Father. But it goes on to explain providence and likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, you ask, well, what's going on there? Because that's going to explain in the next Lord's Day, Lord's Day 10. What do you mean by the providence of God? The idea is this, that God, in the same way that a mother would give birth to a child, and a mother who loves that child and gives birth in love to that child, doesn't now throw that child in the trash can, doesn't look disconnectedly at that child and say, hmm, I wonder who will care for this child, but father and mother giving birth and begetting care for that same child. And that's the idea of God's providence even. And proof of that is when the catechism gets around to explaining providence, it defines providence in terms of God's fatherly hand. Now about that creation, just a few things to bring to your attention. Number one, this begetting of God of the creation is an act of His will, as opposed to the begetting of the second person by the first person. It's an act of God's will, something God determined to do. Something that God determined to do in His mind, in His counsel. And we may see creation then as the giving to birth, the realization of that which previously was only in His counsel or in His mind. God said, this is what shall be. This is what I shall do. And then God did it. God said, let there be. And God said, that which shall be, I will make and I will care for and provide for. That which God makes is a begetting in the sense too that God brings into being something that wasn't there before. He creates out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. This is what Hebrews 11 verse 3 even means when it says that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's not how the creation is be explained. That what we see... Was made by something that appears, something that was there before, but the ultimate explanation of the creation is that which is seen was made by something that was not there. It was made by God who was there, of course, but it didn't come from something else. It came from the creative mind of God. He made it. So, even that, you ask, what's your relationship to the creation? Well, Fundamentally, it's so that you might see and worship and praise and honor and glorify God as Father. Just like when you beget a son. And that son is a reflection of your being just like the son is the perfect image of the Father. So all the creation is stamped with the very fact that God made it. It came from Him. He is its source. It reflects who and what He is. So there is a certain permanence to the creation. There's life in the creation. There's persons in the creation. There's some creatures who bear the image of God, others that do not. Not in that same exact way. Namely, that they have fellowship, intimate fellowship with God. And yet, all the creation praises God. Even the rocks and the hills do. All of it. All of it shows. Not just simply that there's a God To deny that is one thing, but even more egregious that God is its Father. This is why all creation is required to worship God. This is why it's the duty of all creatures. This is why when man refuses to worship God and says, I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know there was a God. I believed all this evolution stuff. God's going to say, no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. And He's going to show how creatures like animals, birds, trees, and fish all praised Him and acknowledged Him and glorified Him as creatures. He's going to show those redeemed in Jesus Christ and given new hearts and lives who when their eyes are open, say, ah, I see the creation in an entirely new light. I see it as God's. Creation. This is the blessedness of the creation. It's even going to be a reflection of that. In that, in that remarkable passage, John three sixteen, that talks about the only begotten Son. There is a salvation of the world. Not just men are saved, but the only begotten Son is going to enter into the world to save that world. Why would God save that world? It's cursed. It's full of sin, full of iniquity. And the answer is because it's God's creation. He made it. God does not forsake it or leave it to fortune or chance. Oh, it will require a certain death of that creation, just like as our resurrection requires our death. Perfection comes through resurrection, through death and resurrection. So also the heavens and earth, they as it were must die. But that same creation, will be raised up this provides the proper motive for the child of God to take care of the creation for stewardship using what God gives one in the creation rightly this provides a right understanding of how the Christian lives within the world why world flight is such an evil and wicked thing not only is it foolish Not only as history shows that it's impossible, that it does not lead to holiness, but if one really truly understands that this is God's world and what Jesus meant when he said, I don't pray that they be taken out of the world. What I do is pray that they be kept from the world, that they be preserved in the world. And so lastly, we consider also that there's a relationship of God to us and that He is the Father of us. And that's an amazing thing. Perhaps you've wondered about it yourself. You know as well as I do that all of our salvation focuses upon Jesus Christ. It's not that we're in the United- to God as such. We're united to God through Jesus Christ. Our faith unites us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gave Himself to death on the cross. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the name above every name by which we are saved. He's our Lord and He's our King. And yet, it's impossible to worship God and Jesus Christ to give yourself to Him, to love Him, to serve Him, without at the same time doing so with regard to the Father. And so much is that true that when we pray, we don't pray as such to Jesus, but we're taught to pray to our Father. It says something. It says in the first place that if we have a relationship to God that is not one, that considers God as Father, there is at worst no relationship with God, at best an impoverished one. Knowing God as Father is essential to a healthy, wonderful Christian life. God is our Father, an amazing, amazing reality that we're brought to time and time in the Scriptures and thus in the Heidelberg Catechism. Psalm 103 brought that up. When you think of the pity of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, you need to think of Father. You need to see God as Father. The Scriptures. It's amazing, actually, how many times when referring to the various works of God saving us, the different aspects, how many are put in terms of begetting. Election. Election in Scripture is put in terms of begetting. We are elected in Christ. There's a sort of birth in the mind and counsel of God when God determines that we shall be his people even before we're made and formed and fashioned when jesus dies on the cross the scriptures refer to that as god adopting us redeeming purchasing and adopting us we need to think of that too when we go back to that passage that refers to the resurrection as a begetting and that explains why regeneration which is a sort of resurrection from the dead is being born again. Why, when the Scriptures speak of sanctification, it is put in terms of God making us in His image. Making in one's image is begetting language. It's the language of birth. Amazing that God adopts us and God transforms us into His image why time and time again scripture refers to us as the children of God so ask yourself tonight beloved: how do you view God how do you think of God when you meditate upon God when you consider God even even when perhaps you attribute certain things to God God is in control. God is sovereign. God is Lord. God rules all good things in and of themselves. Certainly far better to confess that than God has nothing to do with my life, and everything is just a free-for-all. There's no comfort in that, of course. But notice that when it comes to the subject of comfort, that is, when it comes to the subject of a healthy relationship with God, how it emphasizes knowing God, believing in God, as Father. That I rely on Him so entirely that I have no doubt He will provide me all things necessary for soul and body. I have no doubt about that. Why? Just because He's powerful? He's King and Lord? Oh, that's part of it. I confess God Almighty. Oh yes, He's all-powerful. He can bend heaven and earth to give me what I need. If I need money, God will see that I have it. If I need food, He'll see to it that I have it. If I need to die, He'll see to that too. But notice, more importantly, He's willing, being a faithful Father. Problem is, sometimes we don't think that. I prayed and prayed, God don't answer my prayer, He must not be willing. Well, did you ever think that, first of all, He's Father, and He knows what you need better than you do? And just like you with your own children, they may ask for something and you know full well that you can't give them that. That will be harmful to them. That will hurt them. And they kick and scream, no, this is what I need. I need this to be happy. I need this to be fulfilled. And you say, no, no, you're going to kill yourself with that. You're going to hurt yourself with that. So God deals with us. First and fundamentally always, Father with us. Please believe it. Beloved, I want you to think about that. Your faith, your relationship to God, and how you view God. And do that for two reasons. Number one, because faith is in Jesus Christ. And this will help you understand about whether your faith in Jesus Christ is strong or even faith at all. Because as we pointed out, it's impossible to believe in Jesus Christ without believing also in God as Father. It's impossible. But at the same time, it's also impossible to have comfort and joy in Jesus Christ unless you know God as Father. That's the entire emphasis here. It's to our comfort. Already in the first Lord's Day, we confess that. So believe. Believe in God. Oh, yes. Believe in the Son. Oh, yes. But believe in God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank Thee for our great salvation, for the gift of Thy Son, that we might know Thee as God our Father. We pray, Father, that Thou wilt comfort us and give us that which we need that we may believe without doubt that whatever evils are sent are for our advantage, and that all that we need, body and soul, Thou wilt provide. Give us such faith in Thee as God, our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.